Welcome to the She Did It Her Way podcast, a collective of interviews with top female entrepreneurs from around the globe who have done it their way. These women are disruptors, savvy, courageous, confident, innovative, decisive, unconventional, and humble. Our ladies have proven business models, have taken risks, and have failed only for success to follow. Join us as they share their stories, behaviors, habits, mindset, thought processes, and what it is like to be a woman who means business. And now, here's your host, Amanda Bolin. Happy Monday, folks, and thanks for tuning in to another episode on the She Did It Her Way podcast. We are so excited to give you this episode with Leah Gabriel, former Navy fighter pilot and intelligence operations officer turned Fox News correspondent. This lady is the ultimate girl boss. She challenges herself to face terrifying fears each and every day and has quite the life to show for it. We cover all things from what it's like to be a female fighter pilot in a male-dominated arena, her most terrifying and rewarding experiences, and how she keeps herself on her toes. This episode is such an inspiration and shows the true power of female strength. So stay tuned. Here is Do Things That Terrify You from Fighter Pilot to News Correspondent with Leah Gabriel. First, thank you so much for sharing and your time and, and energy this morning. We totally appreciate it from our end. Well, I really appreciate your interest in me. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you have one of the most incredible stories. Okay. So tell us then for the listeners, just tell us wh- what are you doing right now? And then your journey in life and how you got there. Okay. So I am, um, a, I'm a correspondent at the Fox news channel right now. I am Shepard Smith's correspondent, which is our 3 PM show. Um, I also fill in as an anchor here at the Fox news channel. And I, um, I also come on as a national security and aviation expert for a number of our different shows, both on the business channel and on the Fox News channel. Um, I was in the military for 12 years on active duty. I left as an officer. I was a lieutenant commander. Um, I was actually in 16 years, if you include my time at the Naval Academy. That's actually how I ended up going into the Navy, is when I was 18 and I graduated from high school. When I was looking at colleges, I ended up uh, deciding to go to the Naval Academy. So that's a four-year college but it's also a military school, and when you graduate, you're commissioned in the United States Navy. So when I left the Naval Academy, I was selected to go to Navy Flight School, um, which is a competitive process, also a very fun process, I might <laughs> say. <laughs> yeah. and, and I ended up flying F-18s for the Navy. Oh, my gosh. And then what was your – how did you transition from where you were to deciding to be a news reporter? You know, that's um, that's an interesting story because being a female F-18 pilot, the media was very interested in that. I was one of you know, very few women who were flying F-18s at the time. There still aren't a lot of them. And I kind of shunned the media. I didn't want to stand out. I just wanted to be one of the guys. I just wanted to be a pilot and I just wanted to do my job. But after 9-11 happened, um, I was already a um, what we call a full up round. <laughs> I was uh, fully qualified as an F-18 pilot at that point. I had just finished all my training in F-18s when 9-11 happened. And it took you know everyone by surprise. And I really wanted to understand this war that we were getting ourselves into and understand how it all happened. So I started spending a lot of time reading about national security, reading about his- our history um, in the military. Uh, and what I realized is that I, 
you, you can't keep up. You have to really pay attention to what's going on in the news. And it occurred to me that journalists are essentially the ones writing tomorrow's history today. Uh, and that meant something to me. So as I was wanting to become more knowledgeable about our world, the conflicts we were in and the conflicts that you know we might end up in in the foreseeable future, I started really paying attention to um, to what journalists were saying. And it, it helped me to really value them. The other thing that happened is while I was serving and while I was deployed, uh, I realized that we were in somewhat of an unpopular war. And when you compare these current wars to Vietnam, there's a big difference. And it's that the American people, even if they don't like the war, they've been supporting the people fighting it. They've been supporting the, the service members who are fighting it. And I have to really credit the media in a lot of ways for really telling the stories of our soldiers and our sailors and our airmen overseas, bringing those stories home so that, uh, so that our American people can, can understand who they are and know them. And I think it's change the way people perceive um, the service members in the face of wars that are not necessarily were not very were not necessarily very popular so it, it helped me to value the media um, and I started becoming interested in in kind of doing my part part of that is that when you're in the military when when people on TV people in the news get things wrong you are not supposed to speak out about it you're supposed to do your job serve and and you don't get involved in what they're saying what they're getting right or wrong but it become can become frustrating uh -huh. you know the truth and you're watching people on tv saying the wrong things about the military and that bothered me and i felt like we need to have more people who are journalists that have served in our combat boots that have been there and done that and i just became passionate about this idea and decided to start developing my career in my last few years in the navy so that it would work for me to make a transition into uh, journalism okay yeah, that's fantastic. What, um, okay, the FA-18, and I watched some of the videos, and those are not small pieces of equipment by any means. So, like, when you, what, describe for us what that experience was like when you are flying the, the, the Hornets and, and the machines. <laughs> if you can't even put them into words, because I'm sure it was like, I mean, just describe for us, like, what was it like sitting there and take us through that. Yeah, I mean, you basically strap yourself onto a jet engine and you get launched, thrust off of an aircraft carrier, sometimes during the day, sometimes into the pitch black night where you can't tell the difference from the, so the sky and the sea. And, uh, and you have so much power and, and so much of American strength and power right there at your fingertips. Um, it's really an amazing experience. It's hard to, to describe it in any way. But what's funny about it is that it was my first job. And it's hard to really, truly appreciate your first job, even if it's amazing like that, until you have a few years and you've worked in a few different places to kind of go back and look at it. But, you know, when, when people go, when people fly across the country in an, in an airliner, it's, it's three-dimensional, but it's very two-dimensional flying. Flying an F-18, there's just really no limits. You can go straight up, you can go straight down, you can go upside down, you can fly in loops. And it's just such a three-dimensional, such a free feeling uh, and to have that much that power right there at your fingertips, it's just incredible. Mm -hmm. What was your, like, the scariest experience that you had flying the FA-18? Um, you know, there, the, the scariest experience I had flying in the F-18 was probably when I was what's called a nugget. In other words, I was 
a winged aviator and I was out on my first deployment. So they call you a nugget because they say your your wings of gold are still just kind of a nugget and they're forming out and you know they're forming them out into wings. <laughs> um, but I was out on the aircraft carrier. I was flying at night, coming into land. Um, takeoffs and landings are the most dangerous times in flying typically. Um, and so my, my landing gear was down, my flaps were down. We call that being low, slow, and dirty because you're you're somewhat vulnerable. You've got a lot of drag on the airplane. Um, and my engine, my right engine was acting a little funny. And then all of a sudden, it was like, boom, boom. And I thought I had actually lost both engines for a second. But my right engine was essentially blowing up on me. It, um, oh my, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, where the high-powered turbine shaft meets the low-powered turbine shaft, there's a seal, like a carbon seal, and it had um, broken in flight. And so... All, you know, gas and everything was just dumping into the wrong parts of the engine and it was causing pop and hung stalls. And I was low, slow, dirty. So I had to, what we call clean oh the aircraft up really fast and um, just basically fly away. But there was a second where I thought I lost both engines. In that case, in an F-18, your only option is to bail out of it, to eject. Um, but I managed to, to get everything kind of cleaned up, figure out that I had a right engine failure. And there's a voice in the cockpit that's saying, engine fire, right? You know, right, engine failure. It's a, actually a female voice because I guess it's more soothing to men. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we called her Betty was her name. But Betty was telling me, you know, all the, all the problems I had. So I shut down my right engine. And um, it's when you come into land on the aircraft carrier at night, it's always a challenge. It's It can be more dangerous than a lot of the things we do in combat. And then this really adds to the problem, you know, adds to the um, the difficulties of it because flying single engine, everything takes longer. So when you need to add a little power, the engine takes longer to spool up. So it's an emergency that we train to. It's um, doing this at night at aircraft carriers, one of the most dangerous things that we have to do. Um, and that's when I had to do it. So it was a, it was a little bit scary, oh but um, I managed to handle it and got the, uh, the OK three wire. So it was actually the OK underline, which is the best grade you can get for uh, an, a landing emergency on an aircraft carrier. That is so incredibly, I can't even fathom. Can I ask how old were you at the time when you were, when this happened and when you first were, became like the nugget? <laughs> um, let me see. I, had just turned 26 when this happened. Oh my gosh. I know for me and myself and like even the listeners that that is not, that's incredible. Like a small feat. That's no small feat because I think about the things that we do today and as mid twenties, I, that's incredible. You know, I meet women all the time who are, who are young and who are, you know, 22, 23. And they talk to me about the military and they say, oh my gosh, I could have never done what you did. And I say, you absolutely could. If I did it, anyone can. You, it's just a mindset. I think it's almost a matter of forgetting what you look like, forgetting who you are, and just deciding you're going to thrust yourself into that environment, looking at other people who do it and, and thinking to yourself, if they can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. So what's been your proudest moment? You know, it's funny that you asked me that because um, I would say my proudest moment was probably how I handled that single engine landing at night at the aircraft carrier. Um, I just really got into the zone. I, you know, fear kind of went out the window and I just got very focused. I had really trained and prepared uh, through all my emergency procedures. And in that situation, it's, it's, it's what's called blue water operations. In other words, there was no divert field to go to. I had to land on the aircraft carrier. So what they did is they had all the other aircraft land first and they did that in case I crashed because it, it's a, it's a difficult emergency and everyone on the ship from the Admiral on down was watching me. I mean, it was like prime time television, everyone watching to see what was going to happen. Our search and rescue swimmers. I heard afterwards, were all saying they were going to be the one to jump in and save me, oh which by gosh. the way, I found 
I found that a little offensive because I was like, why didn't you have a hundred percent faith that I'd be just fine? But, um, <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of mistakes that could have been made and, I've made plenty of mistakes flying. I've made plenty of mistakes in life. So I've made good decisions and bad decisions. But on that particular night, in that particular situation, I really have to say I handled it as best as I could have. And I came in for what was um, graded as a perfect landing in an emergency situation. So that was a very that was a very proud moment for me where I was tried and I was tested and I came through. Yeah. Well, and tell us, you mentioned too about training. What was the toughest part about training because I think, and even for myself, there's these things that we kind of know a little bit about what people go through when they go through that type of training. And if they're going across seas and they're flying jets and tell us a little bit about that. Like what was the toughest thing part about the training? It's hard to describe one toughest thing or one, you know, one of the toughest aspects when you're going through Navy flight school to become an aircraft carrier pilot you keep learning things in phases. You know, first you learn how to fly, then they teach you how to fly in formation where you're four feet, you know, wingtip to wingtip off of another jet. They teach you aerobatics, you know, where you learn to do um, loops and rolls and that kind of thing. They teach you how to put bombs on targets. They teach you how to dogfight. And what, as you're going through it and you have these kind of exasperated looks on your face when they're teaching, they say, don't forget, this is just one part because at the end of all this, after you've done all these things that we're teaching you and then you've done some in-flight refueling, which is its own challenge, oh then gosh, you have to come gosh. back and land on the aircraft carrier at night, maybe with an emergency, maybe with just one engine. <laughs> so it, it's kind of the whole thing and it's being able to just kind of compartmentalize, take things moment by moment. But when I when I look at the military training, of course, you know, the, there's the physical challenges. You, you do some physically challenging things through the military training. But I think what's really kind of the trademark of military training and what makes it difficult is that you do a lot of things that are going to scare you. And you have to just look, you just have to learn to push through your fear. You know, the first thing that I had to do in the mil in military training that scared me was, you know, raising my right hand and signing up to serve because I had no idea what life was going to hold for me. I didn't know what was going to happen next. And just being willing to kind of thrust yourself into that. And then everything that they make you do along the way, making you jump off of a 10 meter tower into the water, swim underwater, you know, simulating as though there's uh, an oil slick and you've had to jump off the aircraft carrier and have to swim under it to get to where you can breathe. You know, there's just a lot of things that come one after the other where you're going to have some fear and you're going to have to face that fear and just push through it. Mm -hmm. What were some of the things that you were mentally telling yourself that you, you caught yourself just telling yourself over and over again throughout the entire experience? <laughs> um, I'm a baby sister. So I have a brother who is, um, 19 months older than me. And I always wanted to be his sidekick. And he got into a lot of, you know, things when <laughs> we were little kids. And whenever he would do something that was scary, he'd say, you don't have to do it because you're a girl. And that would just make me want to jump in and do it because I knew if I didn't, he'd find some boy to be his sidekick. And I just couldn't let that happen. So that kind of prepared me for facing a lot of uh, scary situations in the military. And when I found myself in those situations, I... I remember just thinking, just push that aside and just do it. Just like the Nike ad, you know, just keep going, just do it. First time I had to jump off the 10 meter tower into the water, a lot of people were scared and I had a fear of heights and I remember my legs feeling kind of like jello and I walked up there and I thought, just march right off the plank. Just don't hesitate, push forward and do it. And I think that's a big thing is when something is a little scared to you, don't hesitate. 
That's like giving me anxious butterflies in my stomach hearing you talk about walking. Just like, don't even think about it, but do it. And like, as a woman, what was it, what was your experience being a woman in such a male dominated arena? You know, it really was kind of like living in a male locker room. And it's funny because I had a friend who went to an all girls college and I joked around that I went to an all boys college (laughs) Uh, and then being in the F-18 community. And later on, I became an intelligence operator and I deployed with a SEAL team in Afghanistan and SEALs are all men. Sometimes people say, oh, were you a SEAL? And there aren't any female Navy SEALs, Um, but I did deploy with an elite SEAL unit. Um, And each experience was different. Each set of men was different. in some of the in some of the groups I was in, I think that they didn't much appreciate having a woman who was feminine doing their job um, because I think that some some of the men liked were attracted to the job because it felt very masculine to them and and working with a woman who was feminine probably took some of that away. But in other situations, they were absolutely wonderfully supportive and just awesome and like brothers to me. Um, and it was really fun. I mean, in a lot of ways, it was just a fun experience. You know, as I mentioned, I'm I have a big brother and so it was it was nice to be in an environment where I was working with men, but it really just kind of it teaches you to be able to adapt to any situation and what it really taught me about was what it's, what it's like to be a minority because I had never been a minority until I joined the military and I was a minority there and it it really helped me appreciate some of the challenges that other people face um as they're going through life if if they're part of the minority. Did you ever at any time feel like you lost yourself in the mix of everything? And if if so, how did you then regain and, and find yourself again? That is such a great question because it 100% yes. Um, when I was at the Naval Academy, my first year, I was just very friendly to everyone. I smiled at everyone who had a, ni- a 97 name tag. That's That means they were one of my classmates because my father was a Naval Academy graduate. He said, these are going to be some of your best friends in the world and you want to make friends with all of them. But as a woman, people said, oh, you're such a flirt. <laughs> just because I was smiling. It was nice. And I didn't want people to think that I was unprofessional. So I watched women that I respected that acted like dudes essentially. So the next year I tried to act like one of the dudes and I didn't smile so much and I kind of changed my walk and you know, I didn't wear a lot of makeup and I acted more masculine. And at the end of that year, I thought, you know, I just, I'm faking it. I'm not being myself. And at at some point I just figured out, you just have to be who you are. Um, When I was deployed on an aircraft carrier and I was so outnumbered in my squadron by men, I I dressed a little bit different. I dressed a little bit more masculine. I walked a little bit different. I think it's kind of a, a self-protection mode, but eventually you figure out that you just, life's not going to be fun unless you can be who you are. Mm-hmm. That's such great advice. So what do you, like, give, given your experience, what advice would you give the listeners? Give me just one second, okay? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, shoot. My producer's calling me right now. I'm just going to tell him what I'm up to. Oh, that's totally fine. (laughs) Okay. Um, So what was your question again? So what advice would you give our listeners based on your life experience so far? Like what have you, you learned? If you could just tell the the world and listeners one thing. Hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny because as you go through life, you learn so much and to try to narrow it down is tough. But I would say this, 
Don't be afraid of failure. In fact, if you are not failing in life, it means you're probably living a mediocre life. Um, I really believe that you should always reach for things that are out of your reach. You should go for things that you think you probably can't quite do and go for it anyway. Sometimes you're going to fall flat on your face. I've done it plenty of times. But those failures teach you. And you also kind of realize you're, you're testing yourself and you're challenging yourself. If you're really pushing yourself to your limits, you're going to fail sometimes and you're going to learn from those failures and you're going to be that much better next time. So I'd say trust yourself, be bold, don't waste time looking around at what other people are doing when they're your life, especially with women. I've seen that people can get very competitive with each other. And usually the competition isn't the person to your left or the right. It's not even someone that you necessarily see or it's, it's not something that you necessarily see. So don't spend time looking around you and trying to compete with what's directly there. Instead, just try to be your best every time, everything that you do and focus on yourself, focus on doing the best that you can. I also think you know, you really need to do things in life that terrify you because there is nothing like breaking through that fear and getting to the glory that's just beyond it. And I would say the other things that really make life special is allowing yourself to truly love and allowing yourself to truly trust. Talk more about that, the, the love and trust part. Like, how was it for you when you say to truly love and to truly trust? Tell us more about that. Well, if you do it, you're going to get your heart broken. You just don't. <laughs> And now we're now we're not talking F-18s or journalism. We're talking we're just talking real life. <laughs> right, real life. If you trust and you love, you're going to get your heart broken sometimes. But, you know, when I think about what really gives me a fulfilling life or the way I really want to live, um, you have to allow that. And, and people trust you when they feel as though you trust them. People have the freedom to love you when they feel like you truly love them. Sometimes it'll work out for you. Sometimes it won't. But the most fulfilling life is one where you can both trust and love. Mm -hmm. So how are you, how is Leah pushing herself today and pushing herself outside her comfort zone? What is she up to today? <laughs> um, well, oh, let me think about that one. <laughs> you know, I do a lot of things that push myself out of my comfort zone. For one thing, I, um, you ask about being in the military and making a transition. Um, people who are in my field at my age have been doing this for 10 to 15 years more than I have. They have all that experience under their belt. Um, so completely changing careers, letting go of what I knew and moving towards something that I didn't know, but I wanted to do and I felt passionate about. Boy, I test myself every day that way. I push myself to the limits every single day. And I learned so much from the people who are around me because I'm fortunate to be at the, the number one cable news network where I am around a team of experts and I'm constantly pushing myself to be better and better every day. I've just developed a new uh, web segment called the Patriot Report. It's basically to give you your top national security headlines once a week in a little quick digest for what's the most important thing that day. Uh, that challenges me because I'm essentially executive producing my own, my own little web segment, my own little show there. I also fill in as an anchor here and that's something that's, that's new and challenging. Uh, reporting is new and challenging every single day because you come into the office and you don't know what your story is going to be before you walk in the door. And by the end of the day, you really have to be an, an expert on it um, and be ready to share with the public what's important, what they really need to know about the story. But in my personal life, I'm also stretching myself. I'm a kite surfer, which oh if you don't know about that, it's, it's an it's considered an extreme sport. I like to be scared. I challenge myself with where I go. 
Um, the most the most recent time I went, I was in Dominican Republic, and I went out in double overhead waves, which I had never been out in before. And and talking about failure, I crashed pretty bad, and it was pretty scary. <laughs> then you just get back up and you do it again. So I like to have hobbies that challenge me. I still fly an airplane. I own a little Cessna. Uh, keeping up to speed on that is challenging because I just don't have a lot of time. Um, but it's something that continue. It's something that allows me to kind of continue to test myself, push myself, and continue to grow. Wow. Okay. With that and everything you said about the Patriot Report, being an anchor and doing all those things, two things came out of that. Since you are such an in the public eye and people could probably have a lot of thoughts, how do you deal with any negative criticism? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, the the first piece of advice I ever received was don't read your own press. <laughs> You know, because it can be some of it can be great, and most of what people say is is very positive. But you know, you're always going to have haters. And I will say this: it's no different from being in high school. It's no different at all from being in high school. Every one of us women had to go through high school. We had to deal with the whole mean girls thing, just like in the movie. Yeah, it's happened to most of us at some point. And so you just kind of learn to to focus on what you believe about yourself. Um, know who you are be your best, be a good person and don't waste time, you know, don't waste time on the haters cuz they're not going to pull you up, they're only going to pull you down. I love it. I love it. Okay, so a few um rapid fire questions is what does your morning routine look like? Oh, my morning routine um <laughs> that's not rapid fire cuz I'm not a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> but you're such a busy person and you've got all these things going on. Like how do you keep sane and track of everything because I think the most successful people, there's some, there's something underlying about their productivity and their schedule. And I'm always curious about it. Yeah, I think mornings are so important because you can really set your day right if you start your morning right. So I like to roll out of bed, put on my workout shoes, and do some sort of a workout right away. And like I said, I am not a morning person. So sometimes it's just trudging along. Sometimes it's a pitter-patter out you know, as a jog. Sometimes it's hopping on my elliptical. Sometimes it's a little weight training. But I like to do something like that right off the top. Um, you know, I like to make my, I like to clean my apartment up before I leave because then I feel like I'm going to come home to something nice and I feel like I'm organized as I start my day. But right after I do my workout, I, um, I usually watch some news while I'm doing my workout or I listen to some news while I'm doing my workout. And then I read the news because it's so important to read, uh, the papers, to read the Associated Press wire, to really know what, you know, all the information that you can that's out there. Um, and then I make a good solid breakfast because that's super important and get myself to work. What's your um, breakfast consist of? <laughs> it varies, but I like to get good protein. I usually try to have some sort of, um, eggs or something like that. And then, um, Yogurt, fruit, uh, some, something quick, but something that's going to be pretty, it's going to have substance and kind of keep me going throughout the day. Awesome. So then, okay, now the rapid fire. If your life was a movie title, what title would best fit? <laughs> um, just another American girl. Okay, great. Um, and then what did life teach you yesterday? Life taught me yesterday be kind to everyone, be nice, but be ready to show your fangs when it's time. Oh, okay. <laughs> and what is the last one is, is, what are you most grateful for? I'm most grateful for my faith, my family, and this awesome country I live in. Mm -hmm. I don't know a better way to end that one, but that's, I absolutely. So 
Leah, Le with everything, I want to thank you so much for your time and energy today because it was it was fantastic, and I can't wait for our listeners to hear all the advice. And just thank you for your service and everything that you're doing. Well, thank you so much for having me. I want to say one more thing because I feel like in life, when people are facing challenges, they look for the way other people do it. And I get asked a lot, how did you do this? And I think it's important to know how other people accomplish goals that, that you have an interest in. But my best advice when it comes to accomplishing goals, especially in your career, is to figure out the way other people are doing it and find a different way. Because if you're waiting in line behind everyone else, you're going to get there about as fast as they do. So that would be my last little tidbit that I would give and that I wish somebody told me when I was 22, 23 is figure out the way other people do it and then create your own way because you'll come in through a window or a back door and it's okay to get there faster. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad you, you shared that too. Absolutely. Anything else you want to share with the listeners? No, I just really appreciate you having me on and, and you know, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the She Did It Her Way podcast. Did you like this episode? Head on over to iTunes.com to leave us a rating and a review. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out She Did It Her Way podcast.com where you can subscribe to our email list so you can receive the inside scoop on our latest episode released each Monday. Now, do us a favor and go make it a great week.